This is Let's Talk to Lucy, starring Lucille Ball. A very warm welcome to you all. I'm Gary Morton, and now, let's talk to Lucy. Hi, this is Lucy. I believe everyone should have the privilege of knowing my guest today. If you've never had the pleasure of meeting Edith Head, then you have a real treat in store for you. If you have not had the pleasure of meeting Edith Head in person, knowing about her is the next best thing. For this is a vibrant and vital woman whose endless accomplishments never cease to amaze me. You all know Edith Head is one of Hollywood's most noted designers in the field of fashion. She has received seven Academy Awards for her film costuming. She is a renowned fashion commentator on TV and radio, but it's Edith Head, hostess and cook par excellence that I would like to talk to today. Edith, darling, hello, dear. Hi. I hope you don't mind swinging in to uh, talk about your beautiful home and your cooking and your hostessing and all that. Does that uh, throw you a bit today without having you prepared? I'm a little sensitive because all my life I have wanted to be known, you know, as either a great beauty or a great designer. And every <laughs> time I am written up, every magazine <laughs> says, have you a new recipe today? <laughs> Of course, you see, the thing is, if you say talk about fashion, well, what do you say about fashion? But food, now, there's something very special. <laughs> you know, I can't think of anything more stimulating than going into a kitchen and saying, now I'm really going to fix something. Where did this all start? How young were I you? I had to learn to cook. I was raised in a mining camp. Then you do not have supermarkets or TV dinners or anything frozen. Yes. You start from scratch. Yes. <laughs> you start with gold dust and mix in what? Well, actually, you started with canned goods. You see, there was not even any refrigeration. That's right. You have no idea what you can do with canned beans if you really have to. That's the one thing I know a little bit about, and I don't want to talk about it. Let's start with your beautiful home. Why did you decide on the Spanish decor and the marvelous Spanish house that you have. Was that always your preference? No, I think there's a, there's a psychological reason. The fact is that the mining camps in which I was raised it was in Mexico. And I think when you once lived in a country when you were very little, you remember certain things about it. You know, like the beans yeah. and the cactus and the sound of music and people. And another thing is, I've always wanted to live someplace where you could go barefoot. Ah, yes. I'm you with see. you there. So we, so we have a Mexican hacienda. And it's all tile, and it's completely enclosed, and nobody cares whether your hair is combed, and you can forget that you're a dress designer. And you know, you know there's a great handicap to being a designer. You go out in public without shoes, and people make remarks. Yes. You have to wear a hat. You have to look. I came here with high heels and gloves. Hate both of them. Yeah. But you see, you, you have something that you owe the public, like you as, as a star. Yes, but when you are in your own little hacienda, off go the shoes, off go the gloves, you know, and then you start cooking. And your informal way of entertaining, that's what everybody loves so much. Have you um, any reason other than being in the, uh, the mining camp does that, that uh, makes you so adept at cooking? Was it just the fact that you had to when I you had were to very young? I think when you learn something that you have to do when you're young, it sticks with you. And also, I think cooking is a great emotional outlet. Now, let me give you an example. If I have worked all day with a very difficult actress, and there are some difficult actresses. Really, Miss Head? There is nothing more therapeutic than going home and getting out a casserole and cooking. You see, that, that, that's my uh, occupational therapy. Yes, I know it is. How many guests do you usually uh, like to have for an evening, say? I don't know more than eight people who like each other. <laughs> At the same, same time. time. <laughs> That's a wonderful answer. <laughs> how, do, how do you feel about guests who arrive late? Well, that's one reason I don't do more entertaining, 
Because you see, I think it's the most rude thing in the world to say, we'll have supper. I call it supper, by the way. I'm very old-fashioned. Uh, we'll have supper around 7.30 or 8, and they come in around 9.30 or 10. And you know what we do? We go right ahead and eat. So do we. We uh, found that out so a yes, long time ago. A lot of food has been wasted, waiting. Yes, uh, is it considered Is it a, a considered something special to be late? I mean, why, why is it here in Hollywood so many guests are late? No, I don't think it's considered anything special anymore, but there are some people who uh, just don't know any better. We'll mm -hmm. put it that way, I guess. And then, of course, there are some people that are detained with work. Mm -hmm. But in any event, we don't wait you don't beyond either. 10, 15 minutes. That's it, you know, unless they have called and mm -hmm. we know what's happening. But most people are very nice about it, but there certainly are some who can mix things up a bit. I know that good food isn't the only qualification for a hostess, and the reason I'm talking to you about this today, Edith, you see, there was an article about you in a magazine, and when they heard that I was going on radio, I have gotten letters asking me to get you on Let's Talk to Lucy so that they could hear you discuss what was written in the article, and that's Wonderful. why. Now, what is your definition of a good hostess? A good hostess is a hostess or a woman, man or could be it could be any age. It has nothing to do with age or experience who immediately makes the guests be glad they came and quit looking at their watch and wondering how quickly they can get away. Yes, very good. Also, I think uh, the real charm of a good hostess is to make you feel very welcome if they went to trouble. In other words, you say, I say, Lucy, I'm so glad you came to dinner tonight. You know that thing you like, that chicken casaladera? I made it because I know you just love it. And well, you it, really did. And you, did you don't just say exactly. things like that. So immediately the guest says, well, I just, you know, she just didn't do any old thing. She took enough time, enough patience, and enough thought. It's a real interest mm -hmm. in the people that you have invited. You haven't just invited someone just mm -hmm. to fill up the room. No, and I don't believe in paying off social obligations by having people in my home. I take them out to dinner. You know, we do the same thing. But there are certain people that enjoy coming to your home, and you have to know that some people don't. They would rather go out. It's, they'd rather have that kind of an evening. In New York and uh, out here in uh, Beverly Hills, we, we know people mm -hmm. who would enjoy an evening in our home, and we know people that wouldn't. So we try not to make that mistake, you know. You kind of put them in pigeonholes, don't you? Well, I have had groups at our house that are really bored with an evening at home. Mm -hmm. They're not used to it. They want to be out and be seen and dance and stuff like that. Well, I don't know what their reason is, but you can tell that they don't really enjoy an evening at home. And then there are so many people who do that I'd much rather concentrate on them. But I'm just glad to find out that your definition of a good hostess coincides with mine because I, I love to do little things or have the cigars that I know the man mm -hmm. likes or the cigarettes mm -hmm. that I know the people smoke or a little dish that they have talked about mm -hmm. before or the right kind of wine or an evening where they can take their shoes off, put their feet up or definitely be told that they can come in slacks and sweaters mm -hmm. and and I, I always tell people, too, what kind of a party it's going to be, what kind of a gathering. I give mm. very few parties. In other parties, words, you don't throw them any curves or surprises. No, I don't always just give out invitations, come by the house uh, uh, on mm -hmm. Wednesday evening at 8 o'clock. Mm -hmm. I tell them exactly what's going to happen. And what we're, they should wear. And what they should wear. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and then we're going to maybe run a movie, and we're going to have dinner, and we're going to do this. It'll be an early evening. There'll only be so many people there. I give them the whole rundown. I, I like it when I'm going someplace, so I like to hear. You know, Lucy, what, what you're saying adds up to just one expression is making uh, a party a personal thing. In other words, you personalize your guests. You make them feel as though they are important. Yeah, I think so many of us, uh, in this business anyway, have to go to so many very large gatherings where we really can't talk to people. We really can't even hear what they're saying. And we just sort of have to spread ourselves thin around a large room, you know. I, I just think that um, 
any time that we can get six or eight people together in our home and really talk or really mm -hmm. enjoy something, it's important. I just can't stand cocktail parties. But, well, uh, you know what it is. That's what you call a mass obligation canceller. Yeah. In other words, when you have yes. a lot of people, you say, what can I do? You have them all in and give them a lot of hors d'oeuvres and cocktails, and they quickly go, you hope. Well, I refuse. I have to go to them for business reasons, but I sure never give them. Edith, thank you for today, dear. I'm so sorry we've run out of time, but we'll talk again tomorrow, okay? Right. Bye-bye, Edith. Hi, this is Lucy. Again today, my guest is Hollywood's famous fashion designer, Edith Head. Yesterday, Edith, you told us that you were raised in a mining camp in Mexico, and that's where you learned to cook. And we talked about your talents as a hostess. Now today, I'd like to start out by asking you this question. Do you think that hospitality is a lost art? Yes. I think the, I think the reason that, that you asked me about whether hospitality were a lost art or not is the fact that hostesses have ceased to try to make anything more personal. In other words, they don't say, I'm having such such a couple on a certain night. They like this, they don't like that. It's what you call mass entertaining. Mm -hmm. And also another thing, I think that, that hostesses have gotten very lazy. It's so much easier to take people out to a restaurant or a nightclub than to have people in your home. If you find, uh, for instance, I know a, a lovely lady who uh, has Sunday night uh, suppers. And for years, the suppers have been the same menu with very little variation. And people like it? People adore it. They look it. forward to it then. And so she really doesn't have to extend herself and try to think up something new. They look forward to it. You don't have to be a great uh, cook. You don't mm -hmm. have to have 400 different kinds mm -hmm. of things on the menu. But if you can prepare one or two menus mm -hmm. for a Sunday get-together. I have one. I have one called Las Once, which means 11 o'clock in the morning. And it's a, it's a, I hate the word brunch, but in, in Mexico, at 11 o'clock, everybody stops working any day of the week and goes out and has a drink and a little food. So on Sundays at 11, I have what you call a Sunday Mexican breakfast. And well, that has never changed for 20 years. That's what I mean. I imagine mm -hmm. that's where your reputation started. And people love to come because they can wear simple clothes, sport clothes. They can come in riding clothes, tennis clothes, come as they are. Marvelous. And, and it's, a, it's a sort of a standing thing. And they know that they're not supposed to stay all day and far into the night or anything. They know they leave by one or else. That's right. And what does your menu consist of? It's mostly outdoor. It's a wonderful thing. I have little tiny steaks, which I marinate in the Mexican sauce. Now I'm getting interested. Mm -hmm. And then I have a huge pot of frijoles, of the beans. Uh -huh. And then I have all kinds of sweet breads, Mexican pan dulce. And I have three or four kinds of drinks. And it's just meat, eggs, huevos, with the Mexican sauce on it, meat and eggs and beans. It's that simple and sweet bread. That's and marvelous. if you don't like it, you don't come. <laughs> you don't come the second time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sure everybody likes it. I've, I've heard nothing but raves. Do you know I have never been to one of those breakfasts? You're always out of town or working. You're right. At 11, well, I don't know. On Sunday morning at 11, I might make it. If I'm not uh, you know what spring. I'll do? I will change it. I will make a Las Once for you any hour of the day. How's that? Don't change it. I'll get there. Let's see now. Do you have any suggestions for the young homemaker who has to entertain on a budget? Let's yes. talk about that for a while. They're vitally interested in it. There are an awful lot of young marrieds around America. I get wonderful letters from them. I think the main thing is this, not to spread your ammunition too thin. In other words, make up your mind and have a theme. It doesn't cost any money to have a theme. You're going to say, tonight I am having a Mexican dinner, and if you can't cook, you can buy wonderful Mexican food, and you can buy canned Mexican food. Tonight, I'm going to have a Chinese dinner. Tonight, I'm having meatloaf. Tonight, we're having ham and eggs. In other words, if you say this is such and such a dinner, you don't have to apologize for it. 
That's in other right. words, get a theme and then be a little silly because here I, the dressmaker is again, suppose you're having ham and eggs, then you use red and white check tablecloths. Yes. And if it's, uh, you know, around Halloween time or fall, you use orange crepe paper and give them pumpkin pie and things of that sort. In other words, it doesn't cost much to think. And that's yeah. the difference between... Put a little touch, a mm -hmm. little extra mm -hmm. touch, a little Philippe to your entertaining exactly. thoughts, your preparation. You touched on something that I, I like particularly uh, around America traveling. I have found that they have some specialty uh, restaurants where it'll say just ham and eggs mm -hmm. or just... Uh, hot cakes. Hot cakes and something. Or they'll say roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. And I think these marvelous places that specialize in something, you know it's going to be good because they have concentrated. And the same thing mm -hmm. can be done in the home. And I very much approve, and I have had, since uh, the first year I was ever married, I've had the check tablecloths, and I have made my own candles. <laughs> Little decorations and things. Sticking them in the wine bottles and making the drippings for the color and all that. That's good for the Italian dinner, too. Wonderful. I think when a young married looks into a, a cookbook, they get so overwhelmed that they, they barely want to try anything. Well, the, the recipe sounds pretty overwhelming, except nowadays, <coughs> don't you think, Lucy, the new cookbooks are a little more... There's a new one out, by the way, that has even has pictures, so even if you can't read, you can make a stew. The pictures were a big help to me, I can tell you that. You at least know how it's supposed to look when you're finished. Did you ever do a pancake one, pancake supper? Yes, well, and then quite often. And then have all kinds of different stuff to put on ham and bacon Absolutely. and sausage and all different preserves and maple syrup. I think and they're boys. the greatest dinners. I, I just love those things. I just Well, that is what I think young marriage should do. That's right. And have people. a theme, put a little time into decorating and have fun. I think that, that if young marriages don't have to be so competitive, they'll get along better. Competitive from the point of view of menus and dressing, don't you think? Gee, that's a wonderful thing to say. I hadn't even thought of that. Of course they are. They're competing not only with their mother-in-laws and uh, <laughs> their neighbors. They just feel they're competing with the whole world. Yes, what a wonderful thought. Stop competing. Just try to entertain your men folk and your friends next door as casually and as economically as you can and, and make everyone feel comfortable. And I guess that's the answer to it. Edith, do you do your own shopping for your food? Yes. And do I you think half the fun is going around and saying, I want that one, not that one over there, but that big fat red tomato in the middle. You that's know? right, and it's very important to pick out and know what you're looking for, know which is the best. But don't you think it's fun shopping? I mean, there's something... I love it. I don't have enough time. Do you ever go to the farmer's market early in the morning Often when the stuff possible. comes in? Often as possible. There's a smell about the farmer's market and fresh vegetables that's, and bakery that's mm -hmm. better than any perfume that's oh, ever been concocted. Oh, that's a marvelous thing to say, and it's so true. You know, it's one of the first places we take visitors to uh, this town. Mm -hmm. We always say, well, you must see the farmer's market, and you must see it early in the morning. Mm, but it smells so fresh. Yes, I think when you're going to pride yourself on on your cooking, that you have to first think of your shopping, don't you? Well, I think it's mostly because I don't trust anybody. Well, you can't. Your, their because ideas don't coincide Because with I yours. might say what well, my idea of a plump tomato may not be somebody else's idea That's of a plump right. tomato. Do you budget your time, Edith? Of course you have to. I have to. I have a schedule like, like a railroad engineer. And you love it? No, I hate, I hate it. I would like once in my life not to have a clock near me. Well, on your vacation time, do you manage to go without a clock? No, because I'm, I'm, I'm so indoctrinated to thinking now <laughs> in 42 minutes, uh, Lucille Ball's coming in for a fitting. Ah. <laughs> People are always asking me how I do so much, and I know that you are a busier woman than I am, and so you do budget your time, is that right? Mm -hmm. I have an actual schedule. Uh -huh. I have a list. I have a blackboard in my bedroom. I have a blackboard in my office, and it, it's, it's a little... You know, I used to be a school teacher. Did you know that? 
Well, I certainly did not. I knew you were a clerk, uh, a mail clerk at Paramount. I was, no, I, was, I wasn't even a mail clerk. I was worse than that. I was <laughs> the girl who handed pins to people. <laughs> Wait till the mail clerks at Paramount hear that you said you were worse than that. Well, when you hand <laughs> pins to people, you have to stoop down and pick them up. <laughs> mail clerks just go around on bicycles. Is that you, know why, you know why I could never be a mail clerk? I can't ride a bicycle. No, There are no bicycles small enough for you. That's why. Well, I can't stop them. That's How the tall reason. are you? Five. Three, just five? Mm -hmm. Tell me, did you become a designer just from starting as a pin picker-upper? No, I was a school teacher. And years ago, when I was a school teacher, you didn't make much money. And you still don't. Well, I made very little money. I made $1,500 a year. And so I went to work at the studio for Howard Greer and Travis Banton as a sketch artist and pin picker-upper. Where did you learn to be a sketch artist? They taught me. Really? Mm -hmm. You didn't even know that before no. you started? Well, you Because I'm the perfect example that if you make up your mind to do it, you can do it. Because anybody who has enough nerve to get a job is a sketch artist who can't sketch. But I picked up <laughs> pins. Edith, I, our time is up for now. Now, you will come back tomorrow. Yes, but I want to tell people the difference between Lucy and Lucille Ball. That's tomorrow. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed my chat with Edith Head today as much as I have. And I hope you'll be with us tomorrow. See you then. Hi, this is Lucy. Edith Head, the famous fashion expert, was my guest yesterday, and it seems that we gals just ran out of time before we ran out of conversation. Now, Edith, as you were saying, you wanted to talk a little bit about... Lucy and Lucille Ball, who are two different people. Yes. Because I think most people don't realize this, because for years and years, you've been associated with what we call a Lucy look. Yes. Which is a typical gay, kind of zany American look, casual... Budget-wise, I mean, anybody in the world could wear the clothes that you wear as Lucy. But the thing is that I think is so fantastic. If you wanted to, you could still be one of the most elegant, most chic women in or on or off the screen. You know those women you see on the pages of Harper's and Vogue and say, oh, look at them, look at those figures. Well, you, you have a figure like that. And I think it's kind of, kind of wonderful that you can be two people at one, that you can be just nice, normal, warm, gay, charming Lucy, and still you can be so elegant, it's unbelievable. Well, thank you. Do you do this subconsciously? Do you press a button and say, I am now uh, this girl or the well, other Well, I suppose I carry myself differently when I have on a long, slinky Edith head creation, naturally, and something that's uh, high style with great yards of links on it. You know what you are? You're a split fashion personality. Is that good? Well, it's very few people are able to be it. Yeah, I think it's good, yeah. Yeah, I'd be in an awful lot of trouble if I had to go out around the country and make appearances on stages and, and uh, didn't know how to wear clothes. Yes, I'm grateful for it. I think one of the greatest examples that you're talking about is Marlena Dietrich. I was talking with Marlena in Las Vegas one night. As a matter of fact, it was five in the morning and she was so elegant and so unbelievably beautiful at five in the morning. And she was wearing, I don't know if it was something you made for her, that was a white leather uh, pants and jacket suit. I think that's from uh, Hermes in Paris. Well, anyway, she looked fabulous. And she said she was going to New York the next day, and I said, so am I. We found out we were on the same plane. So anyway, she wore this traveling outfit that she had on. She always travels, it seems, in planes in these marvelous uh, leather suits. I left her at the airport. About four hours later, I was going down Fifth Avenue in a limousine, and I looked at the crosswalk, and here was Marlena pushing a baby carriage. She had big 
white nurse's shoes on, white stockings, and a white nurse's uniform, and a slouch hat, and a raincoat, and not a soul recognized her. She was taking her grandchildren, grandchildren. into the park. She didn't want to be recognized, so by golly, she wasn't. Later that evening, I saw that woman walk into the Plaza Oak Room, and the whole place was in shock. She looked so beautiful. She had on a plain black suit, a white ermine muff, white ermine hat, and two white poodles on leashes. You have never seen anything so elegant in your life. Just this plain, stark, black and white, one beautiful pin here. All in one day, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Well, I think she's the most dramatic person in the world, and I think she is possibly the greatest artist in clothes in the world. She sure you know, is. she could be a great designer. Indeed. She knows more about clothes than any designer in the world. Let me tell you one thing about you, Else, may I? Yes. Uh, a lot of very elegant women like Marlena and, well, all of the really what you call knock-them-dead women in clothes, they are always on. I think that you are more unconscious in the way you handle clothes than the other women. I think that women, shall I say, resent you less than they do most beautiful, well-dressed women. Do you think women resent well-dressed women? Nine out of ten women look at these great, fabulous beauties and these fabulous clothes and their fabulous figures and jewels, and it's envy, and it's inner female resentment. A few people hmm. have the faculty of not arousing it, and I think it's because you have a split personality. I don't mean that they resent Marlena. I'm trying to say it's a, people have a different point of view about you. Yes, it. I understand. I was just thinking of the marvelous pictures that Ross Hunter is turning out these days, and some of the things that you have been doing recently that uh, people are, are so interested in again, and they're, they're welcoming with open arms, saying, thank goodness. The, the women... return of the great dress pictures. Oh, yes. You know, I, I, I've heard so many women say, thank goodness they have something to go into a theater and, and sit back and enjoy mm. in the way of beautiful clothes. We've had so much beatnik stuff, mm -hmm. and they're so glad to see the Doris Day type of beautiful clothes and everything. So well, I what didn't... about you? What about your spectaculars? You're going to wear clothes in those, I trust. Yes, uh, I get lots of letters on it's good to see me dressed up again, you know. What are you doing now in the way of uh, pictures? I'm doing period pictures. They're interesting. I'm doing a picture with Natalie Wood called The Great Race in which she plays the first woman to try to drive around the world. She's competing with Tony Curtis and, and Jack Lemmon. I didn't know you did the clothes on that. And then I'm doing another picture, another period, which is around uh, last century, which is called The Hallelujah Train. That's the one with Burt Lancaster and Lee Remick. It's, you know, exciting. And the Gibson Bustled, girl. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that. I did a picture with you once, uh, Fancy Pants. That was the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. I love those clothes. The, uh, I had a talk with a, with a friend of yours in New York, Mary Kay Dodson, Mrs. Horrigan, who was at Bergdorf Goodman, and she mm -hmm. gave us some fashion hints for the season. Now, what are your hints to our listeners for the, for all of America, not just the high fashion things? Well, my main hint is to pay no attention to the rumor that everybody has to wear mink pants. Oh, yes. <laughs> I looked at the last two or three issues of what the well-dressed woman would wear, and between the girls in the plaid bobby socks and the girls with their stockings tattooed as though they were had varicose veins, <laughs> And the mink pants. You don't think they'll catch on throughout America too much? Well, if it does, I'm going to give up designing and really go back to cooking. I don't think we have to worry. What about the boots that they're showing this season? I think boots are wonderful for fishing and rainy weather <laughs> and deep puddles across the street. 
And skiing. And skiing. But I think that when I saw, I saw a picture of a, a designer who shall be nameless who had a beaded evening gown and beaded boots to go with it. Oh, dear heaven. And I want to see one man take out one girl in high beaded boots. Yes. Tell me, uh, what should we tell our listeners right now about the uh, length of the skirts? Short. How short? Shorter or? They are going to be just barely below the knee. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, depends. If you have dreadful legs, you don't do it. But, I mean, that is the general fashion. There is a rumor that the skirts are going to go down for evening dresses, that you're going to have ankle-length skirts. Then the others, there. you see, there are two camps. Isn't it wonderful? There are two armed camps. One says drop them. The other says heist them. So we don't know which <laughs> one to follow. So we really don't have to follow uh, mm. anyone but ourselves, mm. our I own shall... instinct. What about hats? You don't wear hats, and I don't wear hats. Well, I wear hats when I'm uh, commentating or doing fashion shows because I think uh, to be completely accessorized, you should have the work. You know, hats, shoes, bag, mm -hmm. gloves. Mm -hmm. And I think that the new hat is going to be a lifesaver because it's fairly inexpensive. They're the little ones. They're a little like the things we used to callows or skull caps. Mm -hmm. They just sit on the back of your head like beanies. Mm -hmm. Like bee lily. Yeah, and little things, like little baby bonnets. Mm -hmm. And the thing, the reason I think women are going to like them, they can stick them on their head and tie them under the chin with a veil. Tie them under their chin with a veil? Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't seen that. That's Wait till you see the new one where you cover your entire face with a veil. It's going to be awful good for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I love some of the hats that I saw uh, in the magazines recently with all the feathers. You mean I the, big, the big romantic ones? Yes, yes. I like, I like feathers. I love feathers. Aqua feathers. Let's do you a whole ostrich cape of aqua feathers oh, over a really slim chiffon dress. And then we'll get aquamarines and diamonds for the jewels. Oh, where would I wear a thing like that? I don't know. Write a script. Well, uh, you have been just wonderful. And I know my listeners have enjoyed talking to you. I have uh, four or five other things that I'm going to bring up with you, but we're, our time is up for today, dear. So thank you very, very much. And come and see us again soon, right? And thank you for letting me tell the real truth about <laughs> Lucy. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Are you loving Let's Talk to Lucy? Then you have a real treat in store for you. A new episode is being released every week on the SXM app and wherever you listen to podcasts.